I've seen things people wouldn't believe. Baby, I don't care. Have a drink. All the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. You didn't do it. Why not? The whole thing's been wrong from the beginning. I feel dirty. Is there anything I can do? Please, Dix, can't you relax for a second? My name is Neff, Walter Neff. I was thinking about that dame upstairs and the way she had looked at me. He's looking at you, kid. Yes, today. This would have meant so much to us. Now it doesn't matter. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo-noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up-and-coming directors and writers of new neo-noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. Hey, Carly! Guess what's at home, folks? Uh, I just found this out just a few seconds ago. Carly is officially uh, um, a fugitive from the law. She did not pay her car insurance. And so they're coming I to get her. I tried to. I tried, tried to. Tried isn't doing it. Now the cops are after her. They're going to they're gonna taser, taser, taser. <laughs> taser, t- taser. T- are you kidding me with the UK police? It takes five of them to get permission as to whether they can even unlock the taser cabinet. Right After that, you have to go and get the specialist taser officer to come once they've decided they can unlock the cabinet. By which time, I mean, it's been and bloody gone, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, over here in America, I mean, pretty soon cops are just going to be walking around on the streets with AK-47. So which would you rather have? I'll be a police officer in America. <laughs> Everybody look out. <laughs> what happened? Well, I thought that I saw a hazard presenting itself, Your Honour. So I preempted the hazard and probably tasered myself falling over trying to do some sort of citizen's arrest because I'm not a real yeah. police officer because you won't actually let me be one. Probably wise. <laughs> well... Uh, hopefully you get things straightened out and you don't get arrested or, um, you know, who knows what happens if you drive and then you get pulled over. They're going to give you well, a, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tweet them in a minute and I'm going to say, guys, my bank didn't like the extra four P that was added on my final payment. So are you going to do a re sweep for that shit? Or have I ruined it by auto renewing a little bit too early? <laughs> Maybe you just have two policies now. So if you do get into an accident or something, you can claim it twice. Hey, there you go. Well, no, because it's, du- it's the same du- company. Double indemnity. Because <laughs> they offered me a really good deal. So I got click happy and thought, I'll have that shit. Yes, please. <laughs> I want to so, pay, pay twice as much. <laughs> so my policy start is on the 28th. That's auto renewed. That's fine. Just wondering what this, you know, 60 odd pound where that's uh, what you want to do about that, guys. take your money and run (laughs) (laughs) oh so how's it been going other than uh avoiding the the law it's cool my plants aren't dead oh lucky you i swear we can't plant anything without it dying yeah well my trick is i don't pay any attention to gardeners world or anything i just kind of leave them to do their own thing (laughs) and sometimes they die and sometimes they don't but oh. this time they haven't. So survival of the fittest, you're just sort of like, you know, a bit of a masochist. You're just like, here you go, little plants. Survive if you can. <laughs> Send for yourself in a giant pot that's too big for you. <laughs> I feel like I'll have poison ivy plants. You know, like poison ivy from Batman. Eventually, I'll have like some sort of giant cactus that wants to you're eat gonna, people. 
<laughs> like uh, um, Little Shop of Horrors. Feed me, Carly. <laughs> yeah, that's my front garden. I've just sat there on my bench. <laughs> well, if we know, uh, you know, if Street goes missing, we know what happened to him. You fed him to the plants. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <clears throat> you really have the cops after you. <laughs> oh, well, it's good to be back for another episode, Carly. Um, let's jump right into uh, tonight's drink. I don't know. Are you guys at home? Guys, are you people are you folks are you yeah men and women boys and ghouls uh are you are you listening to this at night are you listening to this in the daytime maybe i should just stop saying tonight's drink maybe it should just be today's episode's drink or that's too many words right um it's a lot of words a drink of the episode no uh, here's a drink <laughs> here's a drink for you <laughs> All right, processes aren't happening here. All right, tonight's drink. Damn it, I did it again. Here's a drink for you. It's called the Brandy Martini. Uh, I don't know if Carly's gonna like this one. Um, I think you said you you I don't like a martini. Bit of brandy. You don't. Well, I don't like martinis either, but that's usually because they're made with gin, which you love, which is oh. weird. Yep. Um, you but like this brandy? one's a. Yeah, me too. Me too. That's why this one was interesting. And also from tonight's movie, uh, there are two drinks in this movie that we get to see. And one of them is a brandy and one of them is a martini. So I decided to take that and mix it into one thing. Huh? I wonder if there's a brandy martini. And of course there is. So that's what we get for tonight's drink. Um, and, you know, while I was researching this, I f found something out which I didn't know. Apparently, a, a, a drink that's considered a cocktail is any drink that's made with a base spirit such as brandy, gin, or vodka, and then it's mixed with only three other ingredients, and that would be um, some sort of sugar, uh, bitters, and very little water. And that's that's generally what a cocktail is. But nowadays, I guess um, people are calling anything that's a mixed drink a cocktail. Um, but back in the day, that's that's the basis of any sort of real cocktail. Was basically just four ingredients. Um, and that's what we have here with the brandy cocktail, uh, brandy martini, right? Um, and a brandy mar uh, martini is is a cocktail in its pure sense, uh, as what you know. Is, it, this is an original recipe from back in the day in the fifties, um, and it contains just brandy with sugar and bitters, uh, no water on this one. So there's only three ingredients, um, and it's served in a martini glass like a normal martini. Um, and it primarily will have the a strong taste of brandy because it's it's kind of just um, sugared down a little bit because you have the sugar and then also bitters which has you know flavor and sweetness to it. Um, so it's uh, it's kind of got a strong brandy taste and like uh, you know like maybe like a gin vodka or I mean a gin uh, martini or a vodka martini. Um, so you have to kind of like the difference there, um, you know, for brandy um, and. How we're going to make this is there are three shots of brandy. There is a half teaspoon of super fine sugar, uh, three dashes of bitters, and you can garnish it with a lemon peel. Um, and how you make this is you um, get a mixing glass or a highball glass. Um, you chill it, uh, add the three shots of brandy, add the half a teaspoon of fine sugar, uh, stir uh, till the sugar is completely dissolved in the brandy. And then you add your ice cubes. Um, if into a, a cocktail shaker, not into the um, 
not into the drink itself, but into the cocktail shaker, um, and you shake it. That was nearly a catastrophe, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, right, right, yeah. So there's no ice. There's no ice in the actual finished glass because it's a martini, but um, you'd put it into your shaker, shake it, and um, then you pour the mixture into the shake into the uh, mixing glass, and then you would add your bitters at the end, um, and you would strain it into. Um, I'm sorry, I screwed that up. You add the bitters oh, into. <laughs> into the mixing glass um, and then you shake it and then strain that into the martini glass. There's too many glasses here. You got your shaker, your mixing glass and you got your martini glasses. There's too many glasses for me. There's a lot of glasses with not a lot of liquid in. <laughs> I'm going to be dro- dropping everything so yeah as soon as I start shaking anything with a mixer I'm like you know I could just picture that glass flying off and it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> now, that is a comedy film that we have to make. <laughs> you was a bo- Oh, my God. We could remake make Cocktail with you. Cocktail. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, anyways, did I say you shake it well? <laughs> Until the ice sounds different? Uh, strain it into a chilled <laughs> martini glass, and then you garnish with a lemon peel. There are some notes on this one. Um, since brandy is the major <laughs> ingredient... Don't let Jason make it. <laughs> That's note number four. I got three before that. <laughs> brandy is the major ingredient in this, so try to use a, a, a premium brand brandy, um, which will have a, a better taste to it. Um, and instead of shaking with the bitters, you can also strain the mixture directly into the martini glass, um, and then um, you can wash the, the martini glass with the bitters um, before you strain it in there. Um and the last or second to the last tip is uh, try different types of bitters. Um, there's different flavor bitters, so that might give you a, a different taste to it, whether it's like orange or whatever it might be. <clears throat> All right. And the last tip is uh, Carly said, don't let Jason make your drink because he'll fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. And there you go, folks. That is tonight's drink, the Brandy Martini, which, like I said, is a combination of two different drinks that we see in tonight's film, uh, which is a straight brandy drink and then a vodka martini, I believe. It might be a gin martini. They don't really say. Um, And over there in uh, the UK, Carly, what's more prominent, like a gin or a vodka martini? Do you know what? I'd say a few years ago it was vodka, but gin has really had a bit of a resurgence Mm -hmm. the past couple of years. Um, there's so many gin bars, just specific gin bars. Really? So I'd probably say gin now. Yeah, because there's so many flavors of it as well and so many brands. Mm. I've got at least yeah. four brand, different bottles sat in my fridge. Do you like it? And, and you, you, you can taste the difference in them? You like them, like all of them? Or like yeah. I can't stand no, gin. No, do you know, there's some that I really, some of them are just far too sweet they taste like sweets um, and every, mm. for Christmas every, almost everybody gets me some form of like novelty flavoured gin and there's some that are so nice I quite like the strawberry the raspberry kind of fruity red ones mm. um, can you just drink it straight gin. or what oh no god no I'd be on a rampage <laughs> good lord mother's ruin bloody hardcore with me I don't think so I have to have it watered down but it, the it, Copperberg gin is really, really nice. But then they do, um, oh, God, what's the sweet? Oh, it'll come to me in about three hours' time. Did you say you just water it down? You just put, you mix it with water? No, I uh, I have to have tonic water, darling. I see. Okay. 
All right. Nice. Okay. All right, folks. Well, there you go. That's your uh, Brandy Martini. Um, enjoy that drink while you uh, listen to us ramble about tonight's film. And here is the trailer. the best crime play in years. The London Daily Mail headlined, a murder thriller with a difference. The New York Daily Mirror wrote, it holds your attention like a vice. Where's the nearest police station? What could you tell them? I should simply tell them that you're trying to blackmail me into... Into? Murdering your wife. Fantastic, isn't it? But you know he's right, don't you, Tony? You've worked it out to the smallest detail. And this man is to be your murder weapon for the perfect crime. And you, Margot, you've been living dangerously, too dangerously, a married woman with a two-party line to your affections. And Mark, ironic, isn't it, that in this design for death, you should be selected to be the perfect alibi for the murder of the woman you love. Are you ever going to tell Tony about us? No. I couldn't possibly tell him. Not now. There is evidence, however, that he was blackmailing you. Blackmail? Yes, I'm afraid it's true, Tony. And you suggest that he came in by the window. And we know that he came in by that door. But he can't have come in that way. That door was locked. You could have let him in. was the trailer for Dial M for Murder. Dial M for Murder is a 1954 American crime thriller film. I was surprised it didn't doesn't specify it as a film noir. I, I personally would consider it a film noir, but it is listed as a crime thriller. Um, and it is directed by the infamous Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, Dial M for Murder stars Ray Milland, Grace Kelly, Robert Cummings, Anthony Dawson, and John Williams. Not to be confused with the composer, John Williams. <clears throat> Both the screenplay and the stage play uh, were um, very uh, successful projects. Um, the, the film itself, the screenplay, was based on the, uh, the stage play, um, and it was written by English playwright Frederick Knott. Um, and the play premiered in uh, 1952 on the BBC. 
Um, and what is kind of interesting is that a few of the actors in the film reprise their roles uh, from the from the play. That's, that was kind of cool. But before we get into all that, we are going to jump into. And now it's time for Carly's super famous in a nutshell synopsis. Looking forward to this one, Carly. <laughs> okay. An un an unfaithful wife's secret is discovered. She should have just confessed to the affair, but thank God she had an affair with the nicest and most loyal person on the planet. <laughs> the most nicest and loyal person on the planet. Although he's a home wrecker, he's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure he got his next crime novel out of all of this. Oh, probably. What what a crazy like little scene that was, right? Which <laughs> is, I thought, like, and he's just he's always there being helpful. Yeah, a little too helpful. <laughs> and the relationship that he has with is just strange. Yeah, I you know. <sighs> Well, I'd like to think that if I was getting hung for, you know, murder that I didn't do or did do, you know, we don't, depends what day it is. I'd like to think that there'd be somebody like Mark there ready. I would think it's interesting how like morality, you know, is never, it, it's, it's a, it's kind of a crazy thing. Like there are certain things in the world that are, uh, by law legal or illegal. Right. But it doesn't seem like morality is ever something that's on the table for that. Um, and I always, whenever I see movies like this about somebody who's basically screwing somebody else over and, um, you know, they're, they're also a bad person, right? But they're not doing anything illegal. Like she's having an affair. He didn't really do anything to her. She's just decided to step out of the marriage because he played tennis too much, right? Yeah, I did not really get the the motivation for her having the affair. No, I mean, well, I, I don't think. It's kind I don't of think most people. Like he's working too much, but. Then yeah, he but he quit he, with the letter, and she's like, "No, please don't tell him. He's such a different person." Well, because he doesn't play tennis anymore. I don't. I don't. Understand. Yeah, and you're still cheating on him, like. <laughs> Like it was, it's like one of those things where it's like, well, I don't really mind if she gets, goes to prison, <laughs> you know? And Surely Mark would have been at this point backing away going, do you know what? I just went for tea with them. It's got a bit strange. I'm just going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's, it's one of those strange things to me where it's like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't feel bad for her. Like, obviously I, I think that like in a lot of movies like that, they want you to sort of like side with the law like this is what's considered right and wrong and this by the law standard you can't kill people and like i get that and everything but you know what also she wasn't a great person either so i don't feel bad for her and i think that's the only to me the only real failure of this movie is that i could care less that she was going to jail you know and if it wasn't for that weaselly little boyfriend of hers you know, helping out and being too helpful, she would have, you know, went to jail or, you know, be hung or whatever the hell her sentence was going to be. And I would honestly be okay with that. I mean, obviously she didn't like, you know, kill the guy on purpose, but she did kill him. 
you know? Um, so she, did. Know. That's, she did. She yeah. did. So I don't know. Maybe, I mean, she wasn't uh, devious as the husband was, but it took, it took, you know, him being, uh, being uh, hurt and cheated on and, and those sorts of things, which I guess in society doesn't, you know, consider that being a, uh, a crime, obviously. Um, but yet, you know, do we frown upon it? Is it like, I mean, how bad is that really considered in society? You know, I think at one point it was really considered a, a big deal, you know, especially like if people got a divorce or things like that, like there, there used to be a sort of uh, standard about that. And I, I don't, I don't really know whether that's like a, you know, English thing, or if that's like an early American thing or like where that really came from. But there was, um, there was, uh, you know, definitely standards about that kind of thing back in the day. And that became a sort of thing that would really taint your entire existence, uh, going forward. Like people were really frowned upon and kind of shunned in society uh, for that sort of thing. Um, and then obviously now we just, you know, it's entertainment. I find it odd because to begin with, it seemed to be that you wanted to plan the murder because she was having an affair. But mm-hmm. then as the movie went along, it seemed to be because she'd made a will and he was going to get money. Yeah, I, I so think that I, was... I couldn't figure out whether that was like an extra bonus to it all or or which one the clear motivation was. So the way because that I see it... it's bloody cheeky, quite frankly, to have a boyfriend in the bloody living room going for dinner with the husband that's barefaced cheek if we're being yeah no no i agree that's 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 why i had no sympathy for her is like that's like you know she's it's just not right you know that's that's just a terrible thing to do a bag all the time as well can you imagine going what you're doing i'm powdering me uh, my nose she's going in the bathroom and reading a love letter from somebody else yeah, no, that's, she's a horrible person. And, you know, that's, that's what I mean, he's not, he's not any, ends up being not any better, but you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, there's certain, I don't know, it's, it's, it's one of those weird sort of balancing acts when it comes to films as to how are you supposed to feel? And that's the reason why I feel like this movie is a film noir. It's everybody is a bad guy in this film, except for the detective, right? You know, and that's, that's sort of like a, a theme of, of, of noirs where, you know, they're, everybody's sort of seedy in, in one way or the other. Um, and she gets away with, you know, being who she is and what she is. Maybe she's changed a little bit because of what she's gone through and, you know, whatever, but she's still not a great person. And I mean, you know, yeah, there's, there's zero respect that she has for her husband. If she's carrying this letter around and bringing her bow to, you know, dinner and hanging out and, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's just, that's just awful, you know? And then like what happens, you know, what's going through her mind? Well, if he does find out, oh, well, I mean, you know, like what, why would you do that? You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me um, from, from any sort of like standpoint of caring about, she must not have cared about him, which is just odd to me. And as far as like you were talking about with the, uh, the, that last sort of um, plot point or, I don't even know if it's a plot point, honestly. I really think it was just part of um, the character um, trying to come up with a motive, um, which he only was trying to come up with a motive because he still, as far as he knew, wait, no, maybe I'm wrong. He knew about the letter by then that, that the husband yeah. knew about the letter. So I guess he didn't really need a motive. Um, I don't know why that was thrown in there. Cause I, I look at um, our lead character as, 
having been a, some sort of like big tennis star. Um, you know, they never say he's unsuccessful in business. Um, I don't see that he has a need for money. They never really show that there's like this, you know, debts that he has or anything where he, he needs this money. So I, if that was the case, then yeah, maybe just, um, an added bonus, but it really didn't seem like he cared about the money. Even when it was brought up, it was just sort of whatever, not a big deal. Really. I'm only doing this because she's screwing you. So, you know, it's that, that's, that's all I really took from it. It didn't really seem like he cared about the money. No. Yeah. That's supposed to be fair. It didn't come into play till later. It's just kind of like a, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I, again, like, I think that was just the writer side of him trying to concoct certain things because in that scene where he's, you know, laying all these potential what ifs out of how he could confess to this thing to get his wife out of, you know, out of trouble, basically, which obviously he's not going to do. Um, he's, uh, Halliday is, I mean, almost spot on, but there's a few things that aren't hundred percent correct. And I just think that was one of them that just weren't, you know, it was just, just him reaching and that was fine. I thought that was, that was kind of fun because it, it made him not a hundred percent correct, which we didn't want him to be because it'd be too obvious too too on the nose. I think, um, also, uh, this being a Hitchcock movie, um, I think his cameo in this one's a little more obvious. Did you catch this one? Oh, where was oh he? I, do you know yeah. what? It's like, where's Wally to me? <laughs> Waldo. Wally. Where's Waldo? I don't know who this Wally person is. <laughs> um, so you remember, um, you remember him getting the picture, the college reunion picture off the wall? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Hitchcock is in the picture. Oh. Sitting on one of the tables. So as it's not actually like him in the movie, like, you know, in real life or whatever, he's in a picture. And I thought that was kind of cool. It, it kind of reminds me, I don't know why, but it reminds me of the Jack Torrance, uh, uh, New Year's party picture in the shining. <laughs> but, uh, anyway. see, I think that's hard. You can't blame me for not picking him out of a photo. Well, I'm starting to wonder if you know what Hitchcock looks like. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. Maybe I get uh, distracted too easily because it's like blinking, you miss it. I'm always going to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I'm, I'm questioning if you're just reading the cliff notes on these movies or if you're actually watching them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell everybody. <laughs> um, did you know that this movie was shot in 3D? Um, I read something about that and then I thought, no, I must be on the, the wrong. I must yeah, be no. on some sort of garble page. Is that true? It, it is true. Yeah, it was shot in wow. uh, in a dual strip polarized 3D, which I think was like Warner Brothers, like proprietary or Paramount or something. Whoever whoever produced this, I can't remember. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I didn't notice really anything in the movie that warranted 3D, except for like when she was uh, almost getting murdered. Like he slams her onto the desk and she reaches her arm out towards the camera. Um, that was really the only sort of like moment. I don't, I don't know that a movie like this Spencer was, was a great idea for 3d. Um, however, I did notice there was a lot of camera shots that were effects. And, and I think it comes down to Hitchcock's, um, a penchant for doing like uh, rear projection instead of going out and shooting on live locations. 
Um, and in this movie, when he did that, I don't think it works so well because, uh, for whatever reason, specifically, um, whenever they would look out the bedroom window, like her bedroom window, um, you could tell that the city was like a rear projection and it was odd because it looks like the actors were filmed outside and they're actually in the rear projection, but then you have like partial set of the staircase and the like metal lattice or whatever in the foreground that looks like it's, you know, what the camera is actually shooting and the rear projection stuff is out of focus and it bugs the crap out of me through. And it it's that way through most of the movie. Um, whenever they show him like, or show somebody look outside the window. Um, and I'm not sure if that was a weird sort of like 3d aspect. Um, uh, or maybe. Not. yeah, but it's, it's really, it's really strange to me. And, and, um, it, it kind of takes me out of the movie, um, at those points. And they, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm curious, like why he did it. The only thing I think of is cause 3d or because he was too lazy to go out and shoot in the street. But at the same time, like you could tell the actors were shot outside on the street, um, because then they would cut away and then they would cut to the actor walking up, you know, the steps to the apartment building. Um, and it's the same shot, but now the actor is in the foreground and you can just tell that they cut away in order to like match those effect shots up for whatever reason. But again, I, I I really think it probably has something to do with like a 3d process, um, and, and giving it a 3d look because there wasn't really a whole lot in the movie to warrant 3d at all. Um, you know, and I mean, how much could you really have in a movie that literally takes place in one location? And, uh, honestly, they did a brilliant job of, uh, making this movie interesting for a single location. It wasn't until about an hour and 35, 40 minutes where I was just like, wow, we haven't left this room. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, it kind of, I was just like, wow, they did. I mean, they, they kept it really interesting. Um, you know, to get away with that. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it didn't really occur to me that they hadn't left that right? room. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's it's interesting because Hitchcock has done a couple of those, you know. Rope um comes to mind, um, where it's all, you know, in one room and uh not a single take because film back then you couldn't do that. I think they had um six minutes at a time before they had to cut, but he would do these long takes doing the entire role of film and he uh, pre-planned how he would transition into the next role, which is like the camera dipping down, you know, below the box or whatever, where the body's kept and, you know, different things like that. So, uh, yeah, these one room sort of thrillers or even like rear, win rear windows kind of that way. You know, there's a few scenes that are outside of the apartment building, but still it's, it's one of those kind of uh, one room location scripts. Which are interesting. So this kind of reminded me a little bit of, uh, I know it's completely different, but kind of like strangers on a, on a train, you know, just with the setup, it was almost like strangers and strangers on a train would be the setup for this actually happening. Like he's found yeah. a stranger. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah. It does have a similar kind of feel. Yeah. I agree with that. Going back to the 3d film version of this. So there was an issue with this, um, this movie came out in 1954. And I don't know if you recall 
um, in the fifties, like William Castle and things like that, doing a lot of gimmicks and 3d became like really popular for a couple of years. Um, so there was a lot of like horror films and things like that coming out in 3d and this movie, uh, sort of marked the end of the 3d era. Uh, people didn't, yeah, people did not want to watch this in 3d. Like they were over it. 3D had like played its role and very similar to what it did in the 2000s when 3D came out again. It was like popular for like a couple of years and then boom, it was just gone. Like nobody wanted to deal with that shit anymore. Um, and, and when this movie was released, uh, nobody was going to see it because they didn't want to put the glasses on. And um, the theater owners started calling the um, studio saying, hey, you know, people are not coming to see this movie can we please have a, a, a 2D version um, and, and screen it? And they conceded and they sent them a 2D version of the film and the movie ended up doing well. Um, I guess either people just didn't want to see a suspense thriller in 3D or they were really just tired of 3D. And um, so this movie is uh, sort of uh, regarded as the end of, of 3D of the 50s. To be fair, though, even I have a bit of an issue with 3D. I watched oh. uh, Superman, so, uh, the Henry Cavill Superman in 3D, and all I did was fiddle with my glasses because I had to take my glasses off to put the 3D glasses on, and then I couldn't see a bastard thing. <laughs> well, But so I did I- watch Planet of the Apes, the one with Gary Oldman in, in 3D. And I, again, took my glasses. I tried to put my glasses over my glasses that time because I'd learned from my mistakes. Again, spent a lot of time fiddling. And then a monkey's hand came at me and I shit myself. (laughs) I mean, you know, when they do it right, it's cool. I I really enjoy it. But, you know, I've I've got a similar problem, which is actually the technology these days has gotten so much better as far as 3D goes that my issue is less prominent now. But I'm partially colorblind. So 3D has always been super difficult for me to see. Um, like back in the day when like Friday the 13th 3D came out or um, even later on with um, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you know, those were really hard for me to see. So I never really enjoyed them because the 3D oh, didn't visions work Visions of me. you sat in a cinema kicking off. Why? Why would they be bleeding blue blood? That's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's weird because it was less of that. I would see like the double vision thing and the 3D didn't like come at me because it just wasn't, it wasn't really working right. I don't know what, what the science behind it is, but it just didn't work for my eyes. Um, and later on with the new glasses and the resurgence of 3D in the 2000s, um, whatever they did with that was, uh, far better for me. And I could totally use, you know, I could see that, but then I was having the problem that you have. I I'm now a hundred thousand years old and I wear glasses. And so trying to put them damn things over your regular glasses, you know, doesn't really work too well. And then, you know, if you want to be able to see the movie, you know, you're watching weird double vision anyway, because you can't wear the 3D glasses. So I'm, I'm okay that 3D isn't, isn't, you know, really a, a major thing. Cause it was, a, it was kind of annoying to have to go through that. And every movie coming out was in 3D and you're like, Jesus Christ. And then the damn surcharges, it was like 20 bucks to go see a damn movie. It was like, what? I was going to say, plus it's like double the price to watch something in 3D. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's no, nuts. thank you. Yeah. 
So um, Hitchcock did have a quote, though, um, about that, which I thought was kind of funny because he said, um, talking about 3D, he said, it's a nine day wonder. And I came in on the ninth day. <laughs> just, <laughs> and it makes me wonder, like, I wonder if Psycho, if that was in 3D, how cool that would be with the, you know, the, the knife scenes and stuff like that. But who knows? My favorite scene of the entire thing is when he's tr- he's waiting to throttle her <laughs> and she's still on the phone going, hello. And then she stops and moves it and he goes to throttle her and she goes, hello. And he's like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> get on with it. <laughs> that was funny. My favorite scene of the movie is super silly. He The, the first time the detective shows up, um, John Williams' character, he sets his raincoat down in the seat. And then the um, the writer guy sits on his raincoat. <laughs> God, he's so offended. It's crinkled. <laughs> yeah, and he, it, and you don't you don't really notice that that's what's happening until like a few minutes later when the detective goes to leave and he picks up his raincoat and he's like, "What the hell?" And then looks over at the guy and was like, ah. <laughs> "It was so funny." And it's such oh. like a, a silly, minute thing, but <laughs> it was it was really funny. No, it's when he gives a little bit of character, like at the end when he when all the case is wrapped up and he's just there brushing his mustache. <laughs> right. Just on the phone. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. It reminds me of like a, a Perot kind of thing. <laughs> um, did you see Sorry, the new? He's uh, like, don't touch anything, and then she's like, immediately runs to the door and opens the doors. <laughs> well done, love, for not touching anything there. Cracking job. Right. <laughs> Uh, did you see the new um, um, what what the heck is it called? The the murder on the Orient Express was the first one, and the the next one I can't think of the name of it. Um, no, I know what you're on about, but I haven't seen it yet. Okay, it's it's really good. I like. I think I think it's it's pretty awesome. I really love the uh, murder on the Orient Express one. I can't think of the name of the second one. I've, I should know because obviously it's a remake. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty, it's pretty good. I think you'll enjoy it also, which I thought was interesting. Again, I don't know why I got to keep going back to the 3d, but I found out that, um, in, uh, 2013, uh, in the, over on your side of the pond in the UK, uh, they showed the film in 3d, um, and in Italy. Um, oh, wow. yeah, which apparently, uh, sparked a huge interest. Actually, I should go back because they did this. They did this previously um, back in 1980 um, at the York Theater in San Francisco. They screened the 3D version, the original dual strip uh, 3D version. And um, it was so popular that Warner Brothers did a limited theatrical release um, two years later in February. And then uh, I guess apparently every every screening of it was sold out. Um, and then again, in 2013, there was a 3d screening of it in the UK and in Italy. And then Warner brothers released, uh, a 3d Blu-ray of it. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Cause apparently like, I mean, people must like it in 3d, but I didn't really see anything that was worth a 3d version of the film. So I don't know. To me, yeah, that's but I still think that would be very interesting to go and see. Can you I imagine agree. if they yeah. for somehow managed to release the Maltese Falcon or something as 3d you and I, <laughs> even though we have issues with the glasses, we'd both be, we'd both have our asses in the seats. Oh, sure. I've for got sure. to see this, whatever's going on. I've got to see it. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, that was the thing that I was thinking about with the, the, the Blu-ray release of it is like, that's with the technology that my eyes can adjust to. Right. So I'm thinking, and my dad has a 3d TV. I'm like, Hmm, maybe I'll pick that up and, and go check it out. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe it is good. Who knows? Um, you know, I, back in the day in the late nineties, uh, there was a Michael Douglas movie that came out that was called a perfect murder. Uh, I, you know, I really liked it and I hate, really hate Gwyneth Paltrow. I can't I, stand her. Um, yeah, I'm not. I appreciate that she's a good actress and people like her and she has nice qualities. However, she's really not an actress that I can get on board with personally. I'm not a fan of her acting. I don't, I can't, I don't like her. I don't even like her in the Iron Man movies. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't think she can act. You could and give a take her. I don't, I don't think those films really, you could interchange anybody with most of the characters other than the main ones like Captain America and Iron Man, for example, the other ones could kind of be interchanged and there wouldn't really be a massive amount of difference. I don't think she's, I could, t- I could take or leave her. If she's in the film, that's fine. It's on. If she's not in the film, that's fine. It's still on. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't care for her at all. Um, anything I see. Same with, um, same with oh. seven. I, I, I could take her or leave her. I totally forgot she in was seven. in seven. Yeah, I think yeah, she was I don't, very much. She doesn't bring anything massive to the table, but she doesn't take anything away. She doesn't detract anything away. So, right. Yeah. I mean, compared to like her other stuff, she's very subdued and like background, you know, in my opinion, in that film, which is a good thing. Um, and I can't think of what the other woman's name is. Something about Mary. Oh, uh, oh, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. Yeah. She's another one that I, I don't, I, for whatever reason, I just, I don't really care for her in anything other than something about Mary. That movie's hilarious, but, um, see, I quite like her in the mask. Well, but I like I, the again, mask though, I, a lot. She didn't break. Yeah. It's a good, the problem is they start in good films. Mm-hmm. So that's how they end up being kind of neutral. Yeah, that's true. Cause the film's good. So like, you know, you could slot somebody else in there and right. the film would still be good. The role yeah. isn't dependent on her being good or bad. She's just right. kind of there. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of that, I do want to give a shout out to everybody in this film and dialing for murder. I thought the acting was, was great. I thought everybody was fantastic in this film. Um, it was great. The scene where he was trying to get the key in under the staircase Oh, yeah. fantastic. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. brilliant. It had all the mix of like suspense, humor. Every single character was getting in the mix. Is he going to yeah. see? Is she going to see? How the hell is he going to do this? Yeah. That was yeah. really, really good. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Every, everybody in this was, was great. And I thought that was cool that some of the actors reprised their roles from the, the play and just everything about it. I thought it was pretty solid. Um, do, do you but, like Grace Kelly? I, I think she's okay. I don't, uh, she's all right. I, I don't know that. I, I'm um, actually quite a big fan of Grace Kelly. I, I quite like her. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think that she was. I a lot of other people. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay with her. I, I just don't think that she was, she's not the best in this movie. And, and she doesn't, honestly, she didn't have a whole lot in this film. You know, she was, you know. There just, there wasn't, there's, there's some, and I didn't like the fake tears. That was not great. Um, but I mean, she was okay. 
I don't have a problem with her. I just don't think that she was amazing. I think everybody else was was much better than she was, but she wasn't bad. Um, so it's you know it's just one. It's of those not really like her film, though, is it? That's the problem. Yeah, and I mean, she was such a big name that it's like I don't know why. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like you were talking about other actors being interchangeable. I mean, it really could have been a lot of different actresses, but so I don't, I don't have a problem with her being in it. She's fine. You know, she just wasn't, it, it just wasn't a strong acting role, honestly. Um, at no, the end, could, like I don't she think was, you could have interchanged Tony. I think Tony was great. Wasn't he? Yeah. I think everybody else was pretty solid. Like, I don't, I, I think, I, I think everybody, even her, she was great in the film. Like, not great, but she was, she was good. And she did, she did a good job. And like the film is better for the cast, you know? Um, cause this is this type of movie that could come play really low budget cheesy, you know, but, um, it's, it was well-directed. There was interesting camera angles, you know, and the acting was solid. So it was, it was very well-rounded. Which I think, um, you know, considering that it had a, you know, one and a half million dollar budget and it ended up with six million at the box office. I think that was, you know, that was probably, you know, a, a, a big draw on the cast and Hitchcock's name. Um, considering the whole debacle with the, the 3D film and people not wanting to go see it. So it had a rough start, you know, its first week or two and um, it pulled through. Um, all right, Carly, um, we ready to rate this? Yeah, I think so. Can I just say as well, though, the scene yeah. where uh, the murderer comes in with his raincoat yeah. with the drops of water on. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that before in any film in the world that I've watched where it's looked so nice. Oh, I see. Yeah. I know I mean, that's a it... silly description. But, no. Yeah. Um, Noir films that are in colour kind of, I struggle with them sometimes to begin with because film noir, you in your in your head, it's like black and white and it's not a neo-noir that you accept is in colour. It's It kind of sits in the middle of confusing my brain for, for a short period of time. But yeah. this film didn't do that. And that scene in particular, I thought, oh, I like that. Yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. And you know what? I, I, I didn't even, it didn't even register in my brain that this was in color. Like until you just said this, uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I totally watched this as a black and white movie. Um, is that weird? <laughs> no, because I was described, I say my, I was talking to my father-in-law and he's, I was trying to find it so I could watch it. And he was going, oh, yeah. And I said what it was. And he said, oh, yeah, that's black and white, isn't it? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I looped around on Amazon for days because I was convinced it was a remake. I was like, no, uh -huh. it's not in color. Is it? Yeah. And um, now that I'm looking, thinking back on it, um, there's, a, there's actually a really cool uh, scene that I, I recall liking while I watched it. Um, which is very simple. Um, the lead character is on the phone and, uh, the, um, uh, the murderer, I can't think of his name at the moment, but the guy that's being set up to murder the wife, um, is going around the house, turning off the lights and checking out the bedroom and sort of checking out the layout of what the husband has like told him is going to happen, how it's going to go down and all that. And, 
as he's clicking off the lights, the movie becomes more and more lit like a noir. And I thought it was really interesting. And I thought the lighting was really fantastic in that scene um, because you can see everything, you know, of the characters. And there's this nice like blue moonlight, I, I guess it's supposed to be coming in through the window or whatnot. Um, and then the back bedroom is still lit with like a warm kind of tone. And it was just, it was just really, really cool. And it didn't even click in my brain that, you know, this wasn't black and white until you said that. I'm like, oh yeah, really? It wasn't. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I didn't click that they didn't leave the room until you said. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I'm telling you like the, for whatever reason, this movie did a great job with that one room location. You know, that's just, I don't know if it's camera angle choices, uh, engaging dialogues. I really enjoyed the dialogue a lot. Um, characters always seem to have something that they're doing, you know, whether it's, yeah, it's very dialogue coat, driven, I, but, it, but yeah. it keeps you interested. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's not entire. I mean, there was, what was there one scene that was outside of the, the apartment where he goes, is that the, the stag party? Yeah. Whether at the club. Yeah. I mean, it was like one little like 30 second scene, maybe, you know, and he gets on the phone. I think that's it that I recall. All right, Carly, I think it's your turn. I think I've done the last two. I went first. So I think it's your turn to rate this movie. OK. I, uh, I wonder if you're going to be surprised. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm, I, you have to, to let me have it here. Okay. Nine out of ten. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah, nine out of ten. Um I love the last scene where he walks through the door. Worst surprise party ever. <laughs> Can you imagine that walking through the door? Oh shit. <laughs> Never mind, the jig's up. He wants a drink. Yeah. And that's funny because that's exactly what happened. He's just like, Oh, they caught me. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. Oh balls. He wants Going a shandy. <laughs> but no, I, I really liked it because I actually quite like the fact that his plan, I really like the playing with the different ideas of Mark kind of coming up with a fake fake story that's really, really close to reality. And, and the whole idea of the perfect murder and whether you think you can get away with it. And the fact that he probably would have got away with it, but his plan falls apart completely because he doesn't understand the two people that he's dealing with. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really know them after all. So he doesn't really know his wife because he has such an argument trying to get us to stay in the house. Yeah. And he doesn't really know this, this guy that he's hired because he doesn't have the sense to think that he may put the key back. Right. He just doesn't understand people. Yeah. And that's the reason why it all fell apart. Yeah. Just so I mean, simple. The fact that he just completely overlooked the fact that he told him to put the key back and he didn't even check. Right? No. And he didn't he didn't it didn't occur to him that that key wouldn't work. Right. Surely the first thing you do when you got a second was check the fucking key. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I agree with you. I give this movie a nine out of 10. What, what, what did you, um, why'd you knock it down a point or a gin bottle? Um, I knocked it down a gin bottle because I didn't really, I can't, if I said that I didn't enjoy it, that'd be wrong. Cause I really enjoyed the film. 
that I wasn't overly keen on the strange dynamic between uh, Mark and Tony. I didn't, I would have liked to have seen more conflict between them two because surely mm-hmm. they both pretend to be in love with her. So you've got one, I understand why he was reacting the way he was to, oh, this guy's desperately trying to stop from being hung. And he's coming up with loads of crazy theories, which are very close. And my arse is twitching. <laughs> However, if all of that come out in court, which it must have, it must have come out in court and he must have had to have sat there and listened to all these letters and all this stuff that they'd done. And for him to just stand there and be so blasé about it. Yeah. Didn't quite sit right to give it a 10. If there'd have been some sort of, some sort of conflict, I don't like him. I don't want him here. And then he still was persistent and was there. I think that would have given it a 10 out of 10. Because then it would have given a bit more conflict between them two of, oh, okay, this guy, he might actually find out because I've already tried to get rid of him and he's still coming back trying to interfere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they were way too fucking civilized. (laughs) They would have gone to the pub afterwards and had a beer when she got hung. Right. <laughs> like, oh well, what a shame. Who's doing the reading at the at the funeral? Yeah, that they would just be kicking back going, hmm, too... what, what woman are we going to share this time? <laughs> yeah. And also, that Mark guy, surely at some point in time would have thought, has he done something? If he knows, has he done something? No, I this agree is a bit, with you. This is a bit too convenient for him to have been on the phone when all this happened. Surely. Yeah, you know, that part didn't really bother me, but I, I do agree with you. I think there was there are some uh convenient oddities to it, but I do I do agree with you with their their relationship and their dynamic. I feel I feel like the only sort of saving grace with that is that the husband is just he's over it because this has been going on for years, right? This is a, a new relationship that his wife and this man have. So if he's come to terms with like killing his wife, he's sort of over it. The anger is gone, right? So that's the only thing I can think of that would really make that work. But I agree with you. It could have added a, it could have added some dynamic there had they, um, you know, been a little more at each other's throats um, opposed to being so pleasant to each other. Um, but yeah, I, I do give it um, nine out of 10 gens as well. I think it's a pretty solid movie. I um, I don't think that it really pushed boundaries. I don't think it was a perfect murder. Um, I think in the real world that this, you know, I, I think there's a lot of murders that go unsolved for plenty of random reasons. Um, however, um, our detective in this story reminded me a lot of Columbo where it was just very dogged and chasing down every single little lead things that I just couldn't think of. Like I'm sitting here like watching this movie go, what is the deal with this dude in the key? And, you know, and then when it's revealed, it's like, Oh, it's so obvious, you know? Um, and those sorts of things I really enjoyed because they, once you're told, it just seems so obvious. Like, of course, of course. Why wouldn't that guy also have his house key on him? (laughs) 
you know? Yeah. But at the time, it would never occur to We would be rubbish detectives. No oh, case would I'd get be, solved. I'd be a worse murderer ever as well. Like, I would never solve a case if I was a detective and I would never get away with a crime. <laughs> you know, no, I'd, I'd probably accidentally drop something. I'd drop my driving license by accident. <laughs> or I'd think, like, oh, do you know what? Oh, that murder took it out of me. I'm going to have to have a drink of this brandy that's on the side. DNA <laughs> on the glass straight away. Yeah. <laughs> Carly's just opening her little purse and just, I might as well just leave my ID for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to steal stuff, left my own bag, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I almost helped myself it, to a cigar, left it in the ashtray. <laughs> I'm glad you're able to sort of like say why you didn't give it a uh, 10 out of 10, because I, I can't really put my finger on it. It's oh, I was going to ask. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly why I wouldn't. I don't consider this movie as perfect murder movie, a, a perfect movie. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just know that I really like it. Um, I've seen it before. I would definitely watch it again. I found it enjoyable. But there's just something, maybe it's like, maybe it's a movie kind of like The Sixth Sense. It's like after you know what happens, it sort of takes some of the thrill out. Um, yeah, some of the magic goes. Yeah, it's the only thing mm. I can really think of. I'm not really sure, but there's just something, something about it. It just doesn't, it's not, it's not quite there and I, I can't pinpoint it. So I was, I was pretty excited that you were able to like specifically say why. Um, you know, didn't get a 10, which makes a whole lot of sense. I, I thought that was a, um, a great point that you made. Why? Thank you. Why? You're welcome. I wish I could do a British accent, but I just can't. My daughter does it. She walks <laughs> around the house all day doing like this British accent. That's <laughs> so funny. That's but, awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, you got uh, nine out of 10 from Carly and nine out of 10 from me. And uh, I hope that you guys do check this movie out if you haven't seen it before um, and have a uh, brandy martini while you uh, kick back and relax and watch some uh, watch some murder happen. We hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. And uh, again, check out um, Dial In for Murder and uh, Brandy Martini. Uh, until next time. Bye-bye looking at you, kid. Thanks for joining us this week on the Speakeasy Noircast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up and The Dark Side of Acting Up Volume 2, now available on Amazon. Or you can check out one of our films, also available on Amazon Prime. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Speakeasy Noircast.